Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. On today's show, our guest is Pamela Green, founding partner of Pick Agency, a leading entertainment and motion design boutique, and the director of the documentary called Be Natural. It covers Elise Gabe Lachey. She was an innovator in art, business, and technology. She was the first woman film director and ran her own studio. But you probably never heard of her until now. Quick note. Before the interview, recently, this important project was successfully kickstarted, but still needs your support. Please go to benaturalthemovie.com. One day, <laughs> I had clicked on uh, AMC. Uh, this was pre-Breaking Bad and um, Mad Men. And uh, they had a show called Real Models about pioneering women in cinema. And the moment I clicked on it, uh, Shirley MacLaine was uh, talking about Alice, Alice Guy Blachey, and that she was the first female director and that she had made uh, all kinds of films and uh, that she was a pioneer. And then they featured other film directors, Frances Marion, uh, uh, she's a writer, Mary Pickford, and um, some others. But uh, for some reason, Alice uh, stuck with me. And uh, like everyone else uh, who hears the story, I was surprised that I had not heard of her. And immediately I went to Wikipedia and then found out that she had her own studio and uh, that she had put signs all over her studio that said be natural for the actors and was extremely intrigued. And time went by, a lot of time. <laughs> and uh, one day I turned to uh, my partner Yarek Vensluis and said, uh, this is interesting, what do you think? And uh, he as well was surprised that he had never uh, heard of her. And more surprising that nobody really in the mainstream had told her story. There was a book, uh, she has memoirs, she has, uh, there's a documentary called um, The Lost Garden, but it's 20 years old. And um, the more people we were asking in the industry, the more we realized we had to do it because really nobody had ever heard of her. And it's a, uh, it's quite an extraordinary uh, story about um, passion and uh, determination in in a time that it just didn't seem possible. No, it's a it's a remarkable story, and the internet it gives people the freedom to to go down a rabbit hole of of anything of any type of information, whether or not it's just saying that's oh it's just looking at pictures, or there's like history that could almost be brought to the surface because of the power you know, that you're, that you have at your fingertips. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, there are historians that really have kind of dug her up and, and studied her, you know, when, uh, she made a thousand films when she passed away, she only knew about three, but there've been several historians that have tried to resurrect her along the way, but it really never went, uh, mainstream. And for us, you know, we are so lucky that we have, you know, the internet because the, 
the research uh, abilities and, and the digging, it's still pretty uh, painful at times and tedious, but it's there and it keeps getting updated and it's these layers and layers and layers that take you into these portals of things that you thought you knew and you're realizing that it's not the case but also you're finding brand new information that the world has never seen before which is incredible it's a mix of analog and digital uh, sleuthing exactly exactly and you know originally when um, I started uh, putting together the pieces uh, I wanted to do Skype interviews and you know just like we're doing now and FaceTime uh, etc and a lot of people are like oh my god you know it's really gonna make it look cheap and you know that's not what you want and I said of course that's what I want because we want to show that you know 1895 it's the beginning of moving images if not sooner and they're using this box, this camera, and it's developing so quickly, the technology is changing. We want to show that 100 years later, we're dealing with all of that. We're changing. We can use these tools to tell stories in a more efficient and economic way. And it's, it's fun. It's more personal. It's more emotional. You don't need to be, uh, you know, this uh, professional uh cameraman anymore. You can uh, tell stories using all these different uh, mediums and, and capture the audience. And I think that's pretty spe uh, special. No, and totally. I had um, a writer, Jane Epsison, and uh, her uh, co-writer who did this web series, um, Husbands, on my show. And she's written for television. And she's jokes that everyone goes, oh, you know, a few years ago it was called a web series, but they need to put web next to it. Or everyone tries to define what content is and how it plays into our, our culture by looking at the past versus, you know, embracing really what the future means and having that baggage. Absolutely. And these people back then, they, they were inventing uh, the future, which is our present. And... It's kind of like the Silicon Valley of that time. Everything was fresh, it was new, it was exciting. So I would assume if these people were here today, they would be all about this technology and would be pushing the envelope you know, further because it's all about curiosity and, and creating. And the more you're open to doing these kind of things, the more you might come up with a new idea of how to uh, connect with people through technology. It's amazing. It completely is, and I, I think your subject could be aligned with a Steve Jobs or various individuals, but she was also very much a businesswoman and an artist. Like, she kind of had, wore both hats. Exactly, and uh, it's that's another interesting point, and that's actually one of my main attractions to Alice was the fact that she was able to wear both hats. Uh, a lot of people uh, that we've... Uh, interviewed or interacted with like were like no you know she wasn't an entrepreneur and um you know she was just someone there you know doing it and the more i was digging and and i felt that she was like a mark zuckerberg over time because the technology existed it just was not uh it was a novelty it wasn't a business and she was one of the first people to do a narrative so 
she found a way to connect with the uh, with the audience on an emotional level, on a more personal level, which you know very similar to to Mark uh, Zuckerberg, and also you don't become in charge of production at a studio, Gaumont in Paris, that your boss would not give you, you know, that responsibility if you didn't have entrepreneurial skills. You don't uh, go pick up a camera and shoot something on your own if you're not thinking in an entrepreneurial way. You don't come to a foreign country and decide to start your own studio when you don't speak the language. That is entrepreneurial behavior. It's completely entrepreneurial behavior. And just to give uh, the audience kind of um, a background to show where her journey started and how she was able to tackle multiple disciplines and have that, have that you know, the title of a renaissance woman when people really haven't thought about the artists and business combo. Even now, people don't think of that a, a lot, but there is there are success stories, and she's definitely a rare one that's able to be successful in both arenas. Oh, absolutely. Um, what's interesting uh, about Alice, when you, you look at her childhood, then you understand why she becomes who she becomes. She uh, is born in Paris, lives with her uh, grandmother in Switzerland until the age of three. Her mother takes her back to Chile, and uh, uh, the, her mother and her husband run a bookstore, and she's at home with her nanny. And what is she doing all day? She's reading. But she clearly sees that her parents are business owners. There's an earthquake. They leave Chile, they come to France, her father passes away, some of her siblings pass away. She's left with her mother to kind of figure it out. So she becomes a stereographer and she goes to a photography studio, uh, which was called Le Compotoir de Photographie, and she meets <laughs> Leon Gaumont who works there. And uh, she's supposed to be interviewed by someone else, but coincidentally, fate will have it that he interviewed her. And uh, he says, your resume, you know, is great, but you're young. And she's like, oh, that'll change. <laughs> so you know, already she has that kind of, you know, attitude that she really wants the job. So she gets hired and she is a secretary, but she gets invited to that screening then uh, of the Lumiere Brothers. This is before Méliès, which if people don't know who George Méliès is, then uh, they would probably know his character in Hugo. Um she asks her boss, she says, you know, this is great, but I think I can do better. And he's like, well, that's a silly girlish thing, but go ahead. And then she puts a team together and she makes, by her own account, one of the first narratives in 1896. It sells 80 copies and then, you know, uh, she's busy editing, putting it together, and then, you know, becomes the head of production, hiring a, a crew and making, you know, all kinds of films. So... Um, uh, from there, she was going to retire because she got married. And uh, oh, well, to go back a little bit, um, she's one of the first people to sing sound to film. I mean, everybody thinks it's the jazz singer. Not that the technology is the same, but it is similar. And she's one of the first people to pioneer an experiment, and that's so early. So, um, I think that's kind of a, a big deal, not only being an artist, but being um, extremely technical, you know, really experimenting 
kind of, I call her the Christopher Columbus um, in experimentation in this world because she's like discovering all these different techniques and um, uh, applying them, you know, to her storytelling. You know, it's 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 interesting because you see a lot of people in different departments of a giant company and they always complain there's this disconnect, there's one size technology, one size marketing, that when you're this entrepreneur, you you have to embody everything. And I think that that's where some of the greatest companies come from. They come from the bottom up and then you can build out of them. They're not, they're not artificially created. And, you know, you look at film studios now, we just think that they're always giant. There wasn't an entrepreneur originating it you know you don't think about film as silicon valley but in that there that's a very close because it is a few people making history exactly and you know i mean part of the 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 exciting part is it is being there at the beginning it is fresh it is exciting you know there's not that many examples there's no film school so uh it's fresh but being first is Sometimes in this case, not everything, because you're one of the first to do it, but you're also one of the first to be forgotten. And why was she written at history in a way, in, in my opinion, she was, because she was one of the most important directors at the time. She's owned a studio. She's, there are people who've done far less that are everywhere and you know, are always you know, in articles and documentaries. Was there any active attempt to... To keep her from really getting the spotlight she deserves? Well, I think it's a combination of things. I mean, obviously, this is a detective story, so I'm not going to be able to reveal all. But um, uh, so early, directing is not uh, labeled. Your name is not at the end of the film um, or at the beginning. Um, she had many hats. I think she... Uh, you know, you can't compare her to D.W. Griffith, for example, because he was just a director. This woman was a director, writer, producer, head of production, studio owner. Hence, we have all these different people talking about her roles in the in the documentary. Uh, history tends to get lost along the way. Uh, there were, and it was written by men. Uh, there were friends of Edison's, uh, friends of D.W. Griffith, and. Um, People possibly didn't consider the the beginning of you know uh, cinema until like the teens. Maybe all of that was experimental before, so they didn't maybe take it uh, seriously. The fact that, that she's a woman, of course, you know uh, that comes on its own. I don't really need to yeah to say anything about that. Um, but I think. Uh, that's uh, the combination. And it was very easy to take credit away from uh, people at the time because the, the records weren't necessarily um, kept. I, I interviewed somebody yesterday. It's really funny. Um, her name is Gary Bocham. She's a film historian and she's a writer. And she said that all the men of that time, most of them saved every single piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. Came to women they weren't about the publicity and there's like no papers in sight. So, you know, there's something to be said about that. Alice does have some papers, but I think if she knew earlier on that, you know, this would become an issue, maybe she would have saved, you know, a little bit more. Well, some of the most capable people and most talented artists 
are not always the best marketers. Like you see, it was a Thomas Edison and Tesla is that there's individuals that get all the attention as other individuals are working and they're building and they're creating and there's a different mindset sometimes. Exactly. And she specifically says, you know, there wasn't that much publicity for women at the time and she didn't like it. She liked actually to just do the work. I mean, there'd be these articles, you know, uh, that, you know, we would read where, uh, and, and it's so similar to today. Um, this movie is going to be uh, great, but, you know, Madame Blachet is in the editing room. She edits till 11 o'clock at night, every night. And, you know, it just made me smile because literally she was about the work, not about, you know, uh, talking to the press. It's it's kind of sad because you think if you know this really fantastic you know innovator and artist and businesswoman and she's just humble and she's all about the hard work it's how many people in history could have been potentially forgotten because they weren't you know being this shamwell display of marketing themselves and they had and those people that we end up talking about today may have not actually done the this the important work oh uh, for sure i mean we're discovering stuff uh, along the way, especially about Edison. I mean, he gets a lot of the credit, but there were people underneath him that really uh, created a lot of these things that, you know, he either fired or paid off, uh, etc. And I think what's great about Alice is uh, I didn't go to film school, but I don't need to go to film school to know about Alice. I mean, everybody should know about Alice because of her story being so inspirational. It doesn't matter that it has to do with cinema. It has to do with the desire to go out there and do it, to be determined and have the passion. But through her, you can travel. She's like this portal that can take you back to this time. You know, she was born in 1873 and uh, take the audience from there all the way to 2014 and really see what happened along the way for the first time. And all these taboos are going to go out the window, you know, and maybe after this documentary comes out, new information will come out, which I'm sure it will, or it, it'll be like a mosaic. Well, okay, this piece goes here, but it's a little bit more to the left. Let's add this new piece in, you know, or no, this is completely wrong. And um, I, I just find it fascinating. I, I can't get enough of it. Obviously it's like a, it becomes like an addiction. You just, you get your fix and then you want to know more. Well, you're driving a movement and then beyond that, there's that Wikipedia that I've already seen that your film has been, I think, talked about in one of the Wikipedia articles. So it's like this self-organizing system that keeps building upon itself. Uh, that is because it's Alice. I mean, uh, but on the other hand, there's amazing stories out there. A lot of them that are uh, unknown to the public. Um, it's really the passion and determination that's, that's, uh, that's driving this. And uh, our hopes are for uh, a new generation to not only uh, be interested in, in history, but to uh, you know, get to know Alice through the story that we're going to tell and, and be curious about uh, uh, filmmaking at the beginning and Maybe want to pick up an old camera and try to make, uh, you know, something with it. 
you're creating a role model that you know there hasn't been a, a lot of uh, regarding uh, uh, women directors. You know, I mean, there are some amazing ones that people could point to, but you know, throughout history, it's it's largely men. But now, and I think the role models are necessary. I think you can inspire somebody when you see that you know there is this individual that did great things. Oh, absolutely, and you know. For me, I didn't even think of the role of director when I was growing up. I, I loved movies. Um, you know, I knew about Steven Spielberg and, and George Lucas and Francis Coppola and Scorsese. I never in my wildest dreams ever even thought of a woman director. And um, most of the movies that I like are actually uh, directed by men. But lately, of course, I'm looking at some of these other films. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, of course, I like Catherine Bigelow. And... Uh, you know, several of the uh, women directors that are in our, our documentary, but growing up, you know, they didn't exist. So uh, you hit the nail on the head. When I found out about Alice, I felt like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we put her there? And the next, you know, generation, like I was mentioning before, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old, you know, will say, wow, if Alice did it, I can do it. And just on Kickstarter alone, that was an amazing experience because we would get these letters. I'm 16 years old. I was thinking of calling my company 1913 Productions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, now I found out about Alice. And I think I want to direct now. I can do it. And even people that are not in the industry. Like, I have a restaurant and, you know, I didn't think I can do it. But, you know, Alice went out there and do it. So I'm going to, you know, do what I need to do to get keep this, you know, restaurant going. And... And maybe I can show some of her films in the restaurant. <laughs> you know, professors changing the curriculum. So for us to be able to be a part of that is uh, unbelievable and um, very uh, satisfying because it means there's meaning behind it besides uh, having, you know, uh, the luxury to be able to, to to tell this woman's story it's the the results yeah it's um it's more than oh i'm here here's a little piece of history it's more of this could create movements and you know i'm i'm not saying that oh this oh this crazy no i mean i really mean that because if you talk to any successful artist whether or not they're a rapper or they play guitar or they do anything you ask them when you're young what was in your poster you know what posters were on your wall what, were you, what videos were you watching? You realize that no one just exists in a vacuum. Exactly. Exactly. And um, <clears throat> people, you know, they change their icons on Facebook. They change their icons on Twitter. They have, like, you know, the, the Alice silhouette, which for me is a dream come true. People call her Alice. Like, well, when Alice did it, and it just gives me uh, the chills. They, they featured her on Women's Equality Day in Forbes magazine. I almost fell off the chair. Because she would have loved it, you know, because she made sure to say in many of her interviews that she was an entrepreneur, that she was uh, the CEO. So um, I think it's great. I think it's not just great for women. I think it's great uh, for men. It shouldn't matter. Uh, it's about the determination and um, the passion. And um, when you look at the very positive response by press and social media is there almost like a transmedia element like it, it almost feels like along with the documentary sometimes you see like a twitter where they'll have history in the day and they chronicle a person's like 
life in, in this day in history, and they give kind of a view. It seems like there's a lot of opportunities with this uh, documentary. Oh, for sure. I mean, when it was Women's Equality Day, people went crazy. Uh, whenever, hopefully, maybe next year, when it's her birthday, maybe they'll do something on Google. I mean, that would be amazing. Um, you know, people are talking to us now. We've been living with Alice for quite a few years, working on it. Um, it was pretty scary when we were on Kickstarter, uh, as we were getting close to the, the final days. And uh, we are extremely lucky that it went viral. Uh, Upworthy was helpful in that, uh, people seeing it on that. And um, it, it did it did turn into uh, a movement, but um, the press is great because uh, it's going to showcase her. It's what she needs. It's her due. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just Yadik and myself and the people involved. You know, we look at it as a uh, an opportunity to tell this uh, story, and we kind of turn off that noise, you know. But we're not um, we're not those. Uh, Press-hungry people. We're very actually private, um, private creators. <laughs> yeah, you're very much like your subject. That you do your work, you do great work, and you let that speak for you. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because we'll go to meetings sometimes, and um, uh, we listen when we go to meetings for for what we do for a living on an everyday basis, and we don't really discuss like crazy ideas when we're in a meeting. We'll sit down and listen, and then come back to our office and think about how we're going to uh, tackle the uh, the task, the assignment, if you will. And we've been criticized uh, at times for not doing like a, a dog and pony show in a meeting. And, uh, you know, we always smile and we just say, well, you know, the work will speak for itself. You know, and that's a very good lesson that, you know, if you work hard enough, and you just focus on doing a good job, you know, that's where it's going to shine. And speaking of shining, I think Kickstarter, you definitely shine on that platform. There's a lot of fantastic projects that never get much traction. What were your lessons learned uh, getting out of this campaign, you know, and being sane because people go crazy trying to put all together and having a successful venture? And it's definitely due to your subject matter and great, great work. But for people listening who are going to launch their Kickstarter, what advice can you give them? Uh, when you're doing a Kickstarter campaign, less is more. Um, you need to be very concise in what you're trying to uh, raise crowdfunding funds for. Uh, I never wanted to be on camera. I hate it. <laughs> uh, it took a day to do that. I was laughing the whole time. Um, but you can have a great subject, but if you don't have someone to show the passion and why it's important to them, it's not going to work. Uh, it needs to feel infectious. Uh, when we first started talking about Alice, nobody cared about her, but it was, you know, the, my excitement and, and the passion and oh my God, and you know, we're going to do this, and can you believe she did that? And 
you know, how you go about it, that you get people um, excited. And again, less uh, is more, but there's no perfect recipe or equation for Kickstarter. I mean, we did get lucky that it did go uh, viral, but every morning we would have a different game plan of who we're going to contact, who we're going to talk to, how we're going to get you know, these people on Twitter to talk about it, how we're going to get these people on Facebook. My fingers were killing me. I have never tweeted so much in my life. You know, I'm not a, um, a big Twitter person. So um, literally getting out there in the streets, passing out flyers and physically doing the work, but also physically showing the world that you are out there physically doing the work and they're investing in someone who's going to do it. I think I saw a flyer or something posted in Silver Lake in LA. I went to a coffee shop and I saw it and that intrigued me. I don't know exactly what it was connected to, but later on it paid off when I was thinking of um, you and uh, your co-director for that to the documentary, but I saw something. I didn't know really. It, it kind of clicked in my subconscious. Yeah, it was uh, it was um, uh, Yadik that uh, put that in Silver Lake, and uh, you know we would divide up the areas, so uh, I- I'm pretty sure that it, it was him. You know, and it was just a lot of uh, dividing up the work. We had very few volunteers, and um, we would sit in his office. And we would look at the monitor and, you know, see if the numbers were changing. And it almost felt like it was so weird. It felt like we were in a dorm because we were all sick and there was halls and tissues everywhere. And it felt like we were in the social network where we were wired in. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's wild. It's, it's a really new experience. And for everyone who thinks that they could just get on Kickstarter and just be like, oh, yeah, I got an idea. Does anyone want to give me money? You're an example of like, no, you have to work very hard. I mean, would you kind of guesstimate the amount of hours it took to get to where you're at with this uh, campaign? Oh, I'm still recovering, believe it or not. I mean, I didn't sleep for days. Um, it's like an election, literally. You're putting yourself up there to be elected. And um, there's so much behind the scenes that goes on as far as how what updates we're going to do, um, following up on all these different areas. I mean, hours and hours and hours. It would be from like, you know, five in the morning to like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And don't forget, we have jobs. So we need to make sure that we're responsible. And um, weekends, I mean, there's just, uh, it was it was uh, pretty grueling. I've had um, some teary moments <laughs> where you know, I didn't think we were going to make it. We were nervous. And uh, Gala is one of the co-producers. You know, we would be emailing in the middle of the night or we'd all be texting each other. And, you know, one person would get scared and like, no, let's not give up. We're going to do it. And then, you know, I would be nervous and then she would be nervous. It's just a lot of uh, uh, support that's needed, understanding and um you know, asking, begging people to support your project. And how many days do you think was it like? Uh, was it like a couple? We imagine it was like a couple months, like in total. Beyond obviously all the hard work to create your documentary, but just the whole pre-pro production for the Kickstarter, and then pretty much everything and combined. <laughs> can you guess? Well, you have to understand the other issue too. Mm-hmm. 
is um, that we're trying to do a documentary at the same time. So it's oh, man. really, really, yeah, like one day in the morning, you know, I get up super early and I'll be calling descendants of people in France and then, you know, doing Skype interviews, etc. And obviously doing uh, the pick stuff and trying to figure out what story we're going to put together for the pitch. So it, it took at least um, the 30 days of Kickstarter plus another, you know, half a month. The trailer existed because the trailer is what we showed to, you know, potential financiers and people that we thought were the right uh, people that we wanted to interview in the documentary. We had revised it slightly because, you know, you can use stuff that's, you know, uh, not licensed or, you know, um, accounted for. And then uh, the pitch, we felt we wanted to have people be a part of our journey. And, um, yeah, that, that took a couple of weeks at least. And and that's the misconception because I see sometimes on message boards and comments, people go, oh, that person's doing a Kickstarter. They have influential people involved or famous people, whatever it is. And they don't realize that these Kickstarters don't, they have an engine that runs them and they don't just run nothing. You have to keep pushing it and pushing it and driving it forward. And it's not just, you don't just leave it out there and see what happens. You oh, know? I wish. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing I saw was that some, some stupid comment. It was an article by a documentary, like, oh, looks like Hollywood people doing Kickstarter. I'm like, you guys don't know the half. People are really putting their blood and sweat into making these work. No one's just going to give anybody money. Look at the film industry. I mean, they put out these huge movies. They have to fight every day to get someone to walk through the door to buy a ticket. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes from ignorance. And, um, look, I had arguments from historians, like, why are you doing this? You know, there's already been a documentary about her. And I was like, yeah, and there should be maybe five more. So what? You know, so that was one issue. And then I had the attacks of, oh, my God, you have, you know, all these people. Why are you going to Kickstarter? And it's like, you know what? First of all, they're not celebrities, okay? I don't look at them like that. They might look like that to the outside world, but to us, the people that we actually worked with. So Robert Redford, for example, we did three main titles on his movies, we worked with him on three films, and we got to know him. It wasn't just waltzing in there. Hey, what's up? You want to do this? No, it doesn't work that way. And it was um, his uh, trust and commitment and the only man that stood behind Alice at the beginning when nobody did. And, uh, you know, of course, we salute him for that. Same thing with Jody. Uh, you know, she felt that... This was a no-brainer, and it was the right approach. But most of the people that are in the documentary are, are people that we've actually done, you know, either titles or editorial or, or something in their films. And by the way, at times, with not that much of a budget. So, hello, help us do an interview for us because, you know, we want to get this story told. So there's no uh, handed uh, down anything. No, and that's the misconception uh, with the trolls online is they think that Kickstarter just press a button and then suddenly money r rains from the sky. If you get a, a big-name comic artist or actor or director, they just come on board and people are just going to throw money at you. And 
I don't. That does not. It's not how it works. There's a lot of high-profile Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns that have failed. They had big names attached. It takes a lot of work, and it's not a guarantee. Yeah, I mean, and we're not celebrities. I mean, we're not Zach Buff. You know, we're not David Fincher. We're not the celebrities. You know, we're the people that are actually making the film, reaching out to all these people to help us. And everybody that is in the documentary is in there specifically to uh, characterize who Alice was as a person in the different parts of her life because you have to break this woman down when she has all these different roles. So she's has an independent studio and she's an independent. Well, who's that? That's Robert Redford, Sundance. And she directed opera and adapted a lot of fairy tales. Uh, that's Julie Taymor as well. So we had to break her down so the audience could really understand uh, who she was. And by the way, these people not only have supported her with uh, and us with the interviews, they're donors as well. So, <laughs> you know, that that's the, uh, the biggest misconception. If they didn't donate financially, they donated in other ways. And that's more than anyone can ask for. I mean, Hollywood is so hard. There's no money. They have their own projects, you know. No one's, yeah, just no one's just throwing out money. And, and also, too, there are other countries that the government's very supportive of the arts. America doesn't support the arts that much compared to a lot of other opportunities artists outside of America have. So Kickstarter fills a lot of gaps where private equity does not want to come in. The government doesn't want to come in. And then at that point, you're like, are you, what about brands? And it's just so, there's not a lot of options to go. And crowdfunding, if you do your hard work and you find an audience, it works. You know, so I don't think it should be, I don't, I don't think it should be uh, uh, looked at as, oh, it's so easy. No, I think most of the industry should at least really understand it and see it as a viable option. Yeah, and the other thing is, I completely agree. Uh, nobody wanted to finance this. <laughs> You know, it's not like we haven't asked people, and uh, documentaries are very, very uh, hard to uh, get financing for. And people didn't understand the vision. They thought it was just some old story about this little woman doing films. No, she was 23 years old, and she went out there and made a short film. How is that different than somebody today making one on YouTube? It's different because it's easier today. Back then, it was fresh and new. So they didn't see the similarities of these people being punk rockers of their time. They didn't see that piracy was going on back then like it is now. Stealing ideas were going on back then like it is now. People traveled a lot back then like they do now. So nobody looked at it from the, the modern perspective. So we really needed to push and show. And of course, we're getting the responses. but. We still need funding. I mean, it, it, yeah, and it was also too, it's like there's we only see projects that get made. How many prominent writers, directors, producers, and actors have projects that they love in development and then never get to see the light and then because they can't get money? Exactly. I mean, you, you could talk to a famous writer uh, that probably has a ton of scripts that they love, but they can't get them made. I mean, what's the difference? So uh, this is something that we basically gave it our all and yeah is a little bit of a crapshoot absolutely it is a combination of uh vegas you know but it's also a lot a lot a lot 
of work. And when you look at beyond, obviously, crowdfunding, which is a major component, what are your thoughts on just kind of the overall distribution strategy for this project? Um, well, what's interesting, which I can't even believe that, you know, we made the Kickstarter. I'm still in shock. <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> I can't even believe how many people love her on Facebook. Every time I say something, I get all these responses, and it's amazing. They're like our our social media family. So that's, you know, and this is our future audience that's going to see the film. As far as uh, where Alice belongs, she does belong in the theater. Oh, sorry, that's my, that's my phone. Oh, no problem. Uh, uh, she, okay, they got it. She belongs in the theater, but would I want to do um, uh, a VOD at the same time? Absolutely. Let people see it. we got to uh, expose the story to the world. The more people see it, the better. But I do believe, you know, even if it's one little theater in New York, one little theater in Los Angeles, and one theater in France, then, uh, wow, people, people yeah. They're getting excited to hear this conversation. No, no, you, 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 <laughs> you, 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 you guys are popular. I mean, there's, uh, there's uh, companies like Tug and uh, websites that's like on demand. I would want to see this film in the theater. It seems like you could almost do that kind of uh, theatrical uh, film on the demand uh, templates to like get people in. Exactly, and uh, we think, you know, we want people to know the story, but it is, after all, the birth of cinema and the birth of Alice at the same time. They're growing up together. And what better place to see it than in the theater where, you know, it all began. And you're going to distribute it uh, with your team, and you're not going to go to an outside distributor. Hey, if somebody's got the money, I got the time. I always tell people, you got the money, honey, I got the time. So whoever, if anybody ever listens to this, to this section about distribution, and they want to... Uh, talk to us. We are open. Uh, we just, you know, are very specific on how we want to market her because when it comes to studios and documentaries, um, there's not that much money that's put behind to promote them because it's very expensive. And uh, we believe that uh, promoting her with sponsorships and brands of the time that are still in business today is the way to go. Like Levi Strauss made the first pair of jeans with rivets, the, the jeans that we know today in 1873. Well, they're still in business today. Renault are the two brothers that she met when she was at the photography studio. Well, they're doing well and they should be a part of this because she interacted with them. Otis is the elevator in the Eiffel Tower and they're still around. You know, uh, La Durée is the famous French macaroons that everybody loves. Well, they're the first place to have a tea house for women so early where they could sit down and talk about poetry and ideas. Women weren't allowed in coffee shops. She was on the other side of town uh, being the head of production when women can't even get into coffee shops. So we want to show the younger audience, oh, you think, you know, all this stuff is new. Well, you know what? When Alice was around... Levi's was around, you know, all these things that you think are, you know, maybe 10, 15 years old, it's 100 years ago. They already made it for us. So why not associate Nabisco as another one, mobile? 
she put them she did product placement in her movies so to be able to get that exposure i think it's important to partner with these uh places as much as possible because otherwise this film is not going to be seen you need that organic fit i mean everyone points to marketing and all that is like indie game the movie is like the template for self-distribution for a documentary and they, I think they ended up getting an actual sponsor for the theatrical showings. Uh, I think it was, um, maybe it was Adobe or one of the software manufacturers because aligned with the, the viewers or people interested in games or creative games. Yeah, and look, what's interesting too is Thomas Edison was doing uh, Netflix back then. So interesting. Um, there was, he had a kinetoscope, which is the, a home projector, and he would send tuna can sizes of film with stamps on it for people to watch. They would watch it send it back and get another one. I freaked out when I heard about that. And what did I do? I called Netflix. I was like, did you guys hear about this? <laughs> and um, then we went and told them and we shot the facility and we're going to, you know, um, uh, do a comparison in the film. And I think, again, it's showing these people were thinking about it. They were doing it. We just took it uh, further. You're providing so- additional context that the audience can interpret it. And I think that that would give the brands value because people respect something that has history versus something that's popped out yet, like just yesterday. Exactly, exactly. And also to show that it is modern, that these people were thinking ahead. I mean, they were sitting down in the theater, knocking off with pencil what people were wearing, and the next day the knockoffs were on the street. How different is that today in fashion? You know, people that are going to watch this movie, whether you're five years old or 99, you're going to be inspired by fashion, technology, photography, travel, architecture, theater, opera, you know, art. There's something for everyone, and it's going to have like a Pixar attitude to it where there's going to be a lot of humor that will take you through uh, the history. She was a very funny lady. So, you know, we, th- we think we can, you know, we're not cool, <laughs> but, uh, we think we can, we can amuse here and there. Well, well, thank you so much for, um, your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm happy to, in any way possible, try to help promote it as long with like any, the, the army of supporters that you have now, because it's a great cause. Uh, the last question completely off topic is this rapid fire question is, any books, blogs, films, or TV shows you recommend right now? Anything that, you know, when you've had a minute to, like, do your, you know, check out something? Is there anything that you're really a fan of? Oh, my God, you just blew up my brain. Ludo. Uh, <laughs> well, first, you can still help because uh, if people go to benaturalthemovie.com, we are still accepting donations due to the uh, overwhelming requests, we went ahead and set up a PayPal on our website. So you can tell people about that. Um, wow, there's so much uh, there's so much stuff out there. I mean, I don't know. I, I really like Breaking Bad. You know, um, that's one of, one of the ones uh, that I like. I like these new uh, documentaries that they're showing Mondays on uh, HBO. Um, I like learning. Um, wow. I haven't been able to see <laughs> that much stuff. But, um, I mean, that's what's great about now. There's so much stuff. Whether you're going on Netflix 
or you're going on uh, DirecTV or you're just, you know, watching uh, stuff online. I like to learn. So if there's going to be anything that has uh, any true story or historical um, aspects and there's an interesting way of telling it, uh, I'm in. But I also, you know, uh, I want to see, uh, what is it, this world, the world end, uh, this world's end. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, it's so hard to... To, to define what it is to watch because every day there's different things that inspire you. One day you just want to laugh. So you might go see one of the Millers or one day you want to see something scary and, you know, there's something for everyone. But Breaking Bad's pretty good. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, Breaking Bad's great. I think uh, I think it's, yeah, you're right. There's just unlimited options. It's like I ask you this a bunch of random questions at once you're just like uh there's just too many you know it's hard to even recount i mean breaking bad is what it's very the most memorable but like if somebody wants to burn a billion hours of time i think there's enough entertainment right now to do that yeah and and, uh i have to see house of cards i mean that uh i just haven't had time but it's on my list i'm into new you know i don't like the the repetitive and I think one of the things that's happening now is you look at some of these trailers and you're like, oh my God, I've seen this movie like five years ago. It's the same thing over and over again. So we have all these options, but it's really up to the viewer and, you know, with Netflix recommends or some of these, um, you know, shows like Breaking Bad to decide if they want to see something fresh or if they want to keep seeing regurgitations. And that's why Alice is so exciting because a lot of people might have covered the subject, but our approach is going to just be uh, fresh. So I'm kind of stuck in her world for a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I know. It's like when you talk to people who are creators, they're like, um, what TV shows out right now? I'll watch it in six months. Yeah. And, you know, that's why uh, when people talk about House of Cards, I'm like, I'm begging you, please stop talking. You know, uh, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to see it. And then, you know, some of the best stories are in the news. You know, of course, there's a lot of stuff that's uh, that's depressing, but there's some really interesting things that are happening in uh, technology, in the arts, in discoveries. So people should, you know, uh, not just be watching um, these. I sound like an old lady, but... <laughs> They shouldn't just be watching some of these shows. They should be in tune with what's going on in the world and not be in that bubble because you never know what you're going to see in the news that might open your mind to something completely different, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, no it all makes uh, makes sense. Well, oh, it's, well, it's great having you on, and um, I'll, I'll make sure to, uh, in the opening mentioned uh, your website where to crowdfund and also in the conclusion too so we'll have triple uh things to bring, bring up to people's attention and yeah it was it's nice chatting and i look forward to uh, watching the documentary when it premieres in la that makes two of us <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much peter all right bye bye-bye thanks for listening to hollywood 2.0 Please support this documentary at benaturalthemovie.com and you can reach me at cats, K-A-T-Z, films at gmail.com. <laughs>